Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome in everybody to SEC Football and Beyond. I am Chris Landry joining you today. Neil is out. Um, hopefully he'll be back on Friday. But we're here to take you through a lot of information. Uh, it is going to be, well, look, we'll go wherever you like me to go here. And certainly we always take your comments and questions in the thread. In the, I always get that wrong. In the, th- in the thread. On the three, whatever. Um, we're a lot of information to react to. Um, going to talk, be talking a lot tomorrow on Scouts Eye Show, NFL draft trade. We'll get into um, information uh, on that as well on this show. How does that affect the top of the draft? And some of the theories about trades and how do you deal with trades? Done many of them in the league. And so we'll, we'll kind of get into that a little bit, take your questions on that. Certainly a, uh, some news coming out of Vanderbilt that we want to get to. Hopefully it sounds like some good news and encouraged by that. Um, Georgia with a big commitment. We'll tell you a little bit about, uh, uh, Jalon Walker. If you don't know him, get to know him and a little bit of, uh, certainly what the film shows on him. Um, I'm going to remember Howard Schnellenberger a little bit uh, today. Uh, we're, we're going to get into that. And um, uh, obviously your thoughts on the NCAA tournament, uh, where we are now. Uh, what do you think? Your thoughts there. So lots going on. Um, so let's get to it. Um, want to remind you, though, uh, that um, we're going to talk a little bit uh, later about um, good friends at Blue Skies and Alpha Specialties that – sponsor this show, but want to give them a shout out at the top because without guys like that, uh, we would not be here with you. So the great folks at blue skies with their fast and friendly service, their cleanliness of their stores and alpha specialties, um, premier, uh, premier, a trailer dealership in Mississippi. Um, check out those guys. We're going to give you again, more detailed information, um, there as well. Uh, thoughts on the tournament. Um, and you know, usually I, the football guy and I will talk football all year long, but I know a lot of you are interested in what's going on in the tournament. I certainly am watching it. And, uh, again, appreciate, uh, folks joining us in the room. Good morning, Blake. Um, and, uh, it, it was really an impressive weekend, uh, watching, um, 
now that uh, we've gotten to, well, we're going to get down to the final four after tonight. The SEC has been eliminated. I think that the certainly the biggest surprise might have been um, Alabama. You know, if you're going to be surprised, though, you know, we talk all the time, and it sounds like a cliche. The tournament, I mean, UCLA is a perfect example. Uh, Play-in game, 11 seed. Um, does it mean that the Pac-12 was underrated? Probably so in some people's eyes. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't study college basketball. I observe it, watch it here and there. But even like there's a lot of talk about, well, the Big Ten, Michigan's still alive, but well, the Big Ten is overrated. Were they, were they overrated? had a really good regular season. They weren't overrated in the regular season, but does that translate into the tournament? Well, depends on matchup situations. Maybe, you know, a couple of athletic matchups affected their, uh, their play to some degree. Um, maybe just a matter of missing some free throws. Um, it's it. Um, you know, Georgia rebels talk, taking words out of my mouth. Alabama couldn't make free throws down the stretch. You know, probably, you know, I mean, we're very fortunate. I thought they dodged a big bullet because, man, when they made that three-point shot, I thought, well, take the momentum in, look out, they're going to take over in overtime. And, we're gonna, you know, finally the, the bucket of ice water has been poured on them. Hey, wake the hell up and get it done. And couldn't make free throws down the stretch. Um, we're, we're fortunate to take it in overtime. Um, yet, you know, you missed opportunities. You go back into every game that you lose and you play what else. I do that always as a coach in football. You always do that. But, you know, it is about your ability to make plays at critical moments. You know, a lot of times when people will ask, well, how do, what do you think about this team and this game? Well, it's one thing to talk about who has the capabilities and what are the matchups but you got to go out and execute it. I mean, you can, you can have it. Um, but you know, a lot of the, the theories, you know, I don't know that, that that's necessarily, um, plays in tournament. I think a lot of that goes out of the window. Um, look, I, I'm, I'm going to admit, I didn't watch a ton of a pack 12 basketball games this year. But, I mean, was Oregon State that good? I mean, was the strength of that league? I mean, we know that that Oregon State got knocked out uh, finally. But what a great run they had. And they're not making the NCAA tournament. They don't even make the play-in game if they don't win that tournament or at least make a run in their Pac-12 tournament. They won the thing. Now, does that mean that Oregon State was the best team in the Pac-12 during the year? Of course not. They weren't going to even make the tournament. They were picked last in preseason. That doesn't matter. But they certainly didn't play like the best team in the Pac-12, but they won it in the tournament. Why? USC's got great length. We'll see what they do against Gonzaga. UCLA's playing the best ball. McCronin's got them going. I mean, getting hot. That's what the tournament's all about, isn't it? And, um, you know, probably UCLA, I'm guessing, inconsistency played them down to an 11 seed. Maybe they were misseeded as well, but I don't know that you looked at them and said, that's a final 14. That's even a final 18. 
but they were good enough to kind of be in the mix and anything can happen. And there you go. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Don't know that it get by Michigan, but, but we'll, we'll see. Michigan's another example. Okay. They've been a really good team all year and played well. And, and, you know, so it's, it's always fun. And, and I get asked this a lot. Um, because there are a lot of people that will look at this and say, isn't this fun? Isn't this great? And shouldn't we have this type of format in football? And like, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure everybody's got different views on it. Um, I think March in the tournament's great. I don't think college basketball in the regular season is great anymore. And I've talked about it. Neil and I have talked about it. I, What's the reason for that? Well, for me personally, look, I mean, like anybody, you you grow old, you grow old, you have a job, and in mine is football 365 days a year. So I don't obsess over a December college basketball game or a January college basketball game like I did years ago. Uh, I followed it more. It was as a fan, you might be able to do that. Was well, I'm focusing on other things. And I don't follow it. The other thing is I don't find it as fun anymore. I don't know the players as much because they come and go so quickly um, that I don't see it. And yet there's more access to basketball games now than there ever before. And yeah, I do catch some games, but it's, you know, hit or miss and I'm watching the game and then I take a call from uh, an NFL contact and then the game's over and, you know, I hear what happened, but I don't know. And I don't go back and watch it, maybe watch the highlights, but you know, so it, it's a different game. And we've theorized before about if you are a program, regardless what status and what level, if you can be fortunate enough to get a team or to get a group of players that are talented but stay in the program longer and longer. You might have a really good team if they can stay three years. Can you imagine if you've got a talented guy? He's maybe not a quote unquote high top 15, top 20 NBA draft pick, but he's good. He can develop into that maybe, but he's a really good college player and he's there for three years. I mean, who has that? The big-time programs don't have that. So getting the, the teams to gel real quickly is is tough. It's, uh, it's, it's a tougher challenge because you don't keep those guys as long. Um, all of those reasons why I, I, I don't – I think college basketball is great in March. I don't think it's great in the regular season. One thing I'll say about college football, the regular season is great. It is the answer to the playoffs. now. There is a lot of discussion, and and I, I don't know that there's a wrong answer or a right answer on this, that if you expand it, you'd get more excitement in December and you'd get more people involved. Um, I think you've got to have the right mix. Football's a different sport. Football's not a tournament sport. You can't line up and play a game on Monday night, Tuesday night, and then line up as we're going to on Saturday and have – a final four game. And, you know, um, by the way, I don't know if you like the format, but getting the majority of the games on a weekend and then having 
the doubleheader game on Monday night and the doubleheader game on Tuesday night's kind of neat. Um, I don't think that this is going to, they're going to go with it long range because of travel. I mean, this is in a COVID year because nobody's traveling. So they're already at the location in the city. But anyway, it's interesting. I digress. Um, Football's not a tournament sport. Um, It's, it's a process of an entire year. And it is about how well you play at the end of the year. The NFL, look, I mean, you know, my love for the NFL in college is like having two kids. You love them both. They're different. You know, and we're going to get to your questions and your comments uh, in a little bit. But the NFL is about positioning yourself. First of all, you got to win enough games to get in a position to make a playoff run. And and certainly if you put yourself in a disadvantageous position, like from a lower seed wild card, kind of tough to make it through. I mean, it's possible. It's just a tougher road, of course, but it, it doesn't, it's, if you lose week four, I mean, if you're, you're, you're three and oh, and you lose week four, I mean, I mean, regardless what you're right. I mean, you can lose week four and it's not going to, it's not going to kill you. You can lose four games and you still are in good shape to win your division, depending upon the year and the division. It's maybe the right combination. um, But as big as the NFL is every Sunday, as an, as excited as I am every Sunday, to watch teams, it's not for the same reason as the Saturdays in college. Meaning, you know, and I people say, well, it's the band and it's the fans and when it's when it's back to normal, but it's it's more than that to me. You know, in the NFL, it's about matchups. It's about maybe seeing a team's growth. And, you know, when it gets like past midseason, then you start to see, okay, playoff danger here. You know, you're in trouble, must win type of game here. Then it becomes real interesting. I mean, Thanksgiving on. But it's not the do or die feel to it as college football is. The the one thing that college football has a complete stranglehold on is the importance of every week. Um, You know, if you were to pick the two favorites after we get all done with the draft and you know we look at the the two favorites you know two of the four best teams in the NFL going into this year if they were to play week 3 it's a big game but it's not going to have as big of a feel as Georgia Clemson is at the beginning of this college football season Yet, I don't know that Georgia-Clemson is an elimination game. But, boy, it's a it's huge. It's unlike any other regular season game in any other sport. So it makes it unique. And um, I don't want to go off too far on it. But, you know, it, it, it is finding the right medium is uh, do we need to expand the playoffs? You get to ask that a bunch. Would it make a huge difference? Um you know, my feeling has been all along that let's take 
the best teams and, you know, make the bowl season more relevant by taking the best teams and putting them in the best bowl games. And then that's going to help determine who should be in. But anyway, I don't want to get off on that. That that's something that I, I, um, I hammered, I hammered big time during the, uh, the process of, uh, the playoff time. Um, want to mention a couple of things, uh, before, uh, get your thoughts on that. Indiana's hired their basketball coach, Mike Woodson. And, you know, I look, I mean, I think most of you that follow this show are aware of the consulting work I do on coaching, consulting work and football. And so I tend to follow certain things or at least try to gleam some ideas and always try to talk with folks in other, well, in other industries and certainly in other sports in, industries on some of how they do things. Um, but I, you know, I'm not, I don't study again, the basketball game. Like I said before, I, um, coaching high school basketball as far as I went on the basketball side. Um, but, but something that stood out to me in studying a little bit about the Indiana search and the Indiana searches, um, that I kind of got some information. I heard a couple of comments, a couple of coaches talk about this. In that once Bobby Knight left, there was a strong sense of detachment to getting away from Bobby Knight and his disciple. There was some, some, you know, I know Dockage was there for a little while, and there was some thought that let's get away from that. Let's go with somebody that, um, is from a different era. Let's, we let Bobby Knight become too powerful in the university. We're going to de-emphasize the importance of that. All of that was kind of a theory that's been drawn out by Indiana folks. And so they went down different paths and different folks and different ideas. And, you know, it's not been the same. Yet, I think that there was a strong push this time, apparently, to get somebody that maybe go back to their roots and the Bobby Knight roots. And in Mike Woodson, they did it, former player, guy that has no college coaching background, um, but certainly has a lot of experience in the NBA. Interesting that they brought in Thad Mata to be the assistant athletic director. And, um, I, I think it's that combination and, and probably the early success of Jawan Howard at Michigan, Phil Martelli's on the sidelines with them. Now, Thad Mata, from what I understand is going to be assisted AD and he's not going to have the Phil Martelli role that he's not going to be on the bench. He's just going to be more of an administrator to help to administrate the overall teaching of college basketball administration, recruiting and scheduling and the things that deal with college basketball that are unique, that that Mike will have obviously complete control over the, the basketball side of it. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, plays out, but we have talked about that. Uh, got some other things I want to address and then we'll get into some NFL stuff. I do want to uh, take some of your thoughts and appreciate Blake and Jeff joining us. 
Uh, Georgia Rebel said, what bad game and you're out. Absolutely. Jeff said, could you please break down the massive trade between the 49ers, Dolphins, Eagles? Does that mean the 49ers are all in the quarterback? I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, well, Blake says, the thing is you have a few SEC teams get an at-large bid and you have a bunch of ACC teams get at-large bid. Yeah, you do. You get some of those. And look, let's call it uh, the, the, the closest thing to a dominant SEC team this year was what? Alabama, right? Yet, I don't know. I mean, was there a dominant team? I mean, Gonzaga's looked dominant. You know, there's the debate of if they had to play a Pac-12 or an ACC or an SEC schedule, would they have a lost a game or two? Perhaps, but let's say they lost three games. I mean, you think Gonzaga would have lost six or eight or ten games? I certainly doesn't look like it. Looked like they're capable of beating anybody. But in the one-game scenario, you never know. Um, I don't know if there was dominant-looking teams this year outside of Gonzaga. Maybe I'm wrong. At different points in times, I guess people did. But it didn't look like Alabama was was um, was dominant nationally, maybe the best that the SEC had to offer. Look, I mean, I, I correct me if I'm wrong out there, but I don't remember people talking about Alabama in the preseason as the best team in the, the SEC, I think. I think people talked about them in the mix, heard a lot about Tennessee. Um, and, you know, Tennessee hasn't done well in the tournament. Like, I think it's it's tough because that was a really good-looking Alabama team. They played like a team that looked like they were very capable and I think definitely capable of beating UCLA. They just didn't. Um, simple as that. Um, <clears throat> two elite eight games on a Tuesday night seems weird. Yeah, it does. Does seem a little weird. Um, um, let's see here. Jeff said Blake Robinson got to go with Lawrence. Okay. I think I might, uh, then winner. <laughs> okay. So some, some questions here. Um, so we'll see where it is. Uh, people are asking about draft attendance. Don't know. Um, We'll see where they are. Um, so let's get into the question, and Jeff's going to break down the trade. Uh, can you break down the massive trade between the Niners, Dolphins, Eagles, all different trades, of course. But so here's the deal on that. Um, you never make a trade like that, and you never make a trade, period, in a draft, unless you you know you can get your guy. <clears throat> from your trade spot, trade up or trade down. So the minute this trade was consummated and we were, we had it up on LandryFootball.com that the conversations were taking place. The reason why they made the trade is that to go up to three, the reason why you do that is there are three players. Well, we think three quarterbacks, but definitely three players that they absolutely love, meaning their draft board based upon how they got graded. And by the way, the initial um, horizontal draft board, the top overall players in the 2021 draft are up on LandryFootball.com. And I'll do it in stages. I got all the first-round grades, guys with first-round grades, not saying this is how they're going to – these are the best players in the draft, and it tells you how they're graded. So you set up your draft board correctly. There are three players you'd love to have any one of the three. You move up to the third spot, you're guaranteed to get one of them. 
So I, I, I'm going to presume here that there are three quarterbacks that they love because I don't think they make the move up to three for a player other than a quarterback. It's it's possible, but it's it's unlikely. So the three quarterbacks that they love, and obviously one of them is Trevor Lawrence. Trevor is is definitely a done deal to Jacksonville at one. But let's just say for some reason he's not, and he's there. Well, they would love to have him. They they are doing that knowing that he's going to be gone. So it tells me that they love two other quarterbacks. Uh, you know, we can speculate on the other three quarterbacks. Um, well, you know, really, Justin Fields. Um, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, um, that they like, you know, two other guys besides Lawrence and they're going to get one of them. And so that's why you make that move. It is very similar to when Kyle was on the staff in Washington with his dad, Mike, when they moved up the year to number two, about the same time because they loved the two quarterbacks in the draft and they were going to get one of them. One of them um, it is um, Andrew Luck and RG3. And regardless of how you think it played out, they love both of those. Now they knew that more than likely Andrew Luck was going to go to the Colts, but they liked RG3 were moving up to two to get him, but if for some reason Andrew Luck was there too, it'd have been run that card up as quick as you can. So this is the same situation, except moving to three with liking three of the guys. Which one? Well, they're going to probably keep that under wraps. The other issue was when you deal with the trade, you have to understand that there was a strong desire to get ahead of Carolina, who is definitely trying to get a quarterback. And the uncertainty of Atlanta, of A, taking a quarterback or trading, um, Cincinnati, who could absolutely trade. If they love Panay Sewell, um, you know, and he's gone, there's potential, the quarterbacks are going to go. And so getting to that spot where they were a certainty to have their guy, it's going to be, was the reason why they were doing it. Now, why did, you know, Miami's moving, move back. Miami got a number of picks, enough leverage to, okay, they moved back. Philadelphia, who I believed was targeting a quarterback, and it was, you know, again, Lawrence, presumption he's gone like Lawrence. And I do think, um, they like Zach Wilson feeling that they're going to be out of that with the, the assumption that the jets are going to take him at two. They looked at it as an opportunity to move back, get more picks because obviously they didn't feel like they would be in a position to, get the guy that they want at their spot. So move back, get more picks. Now Miami uh, moves um, back up to six. And the reason why they do it with extra picks is it is, it assures them that the numbers on their board gives them, I think a playmaker. 
keep in mind with the quarterbacks going and they're being elevated, there's going to be elite playmakers on offense, particularly at receiver, um, that they're going to love. Now, is that Waddle? Is that Chase? Is it Smith? That that gives them in a position where they're virtually guaranteed to get that guy in terms of how the numbers shape out. So you always look at the numbers, and you can't ever be certain what's going to happen in somebody else's draft room, but the numbers kind of take give you the percentages. And I listen, I always did. It's kind of like, you know, people tell me, why don't you move back? Well, because maybe somebody doesn't want to move up. If my board shows me that I've got five guys that I really like, well, I can move down five spots and be guaranteed I'm going to get one of them. If I got three guys that I like and I move five spots down, there's a good chance that three of those three guys are going to be gone. And you're sitting there and then you're swallowing hard and you're having to, A, take a player that you like but you don't love at that spot. And, woman, just move down. Well, you can't move down. You can't bring a gun to the negotiation table. So you might be able to move down further or you might have to pick. There's always a saying, you better be prepared to pick. Wherever you are, you better be prepared to pick. Always tell my guys in the draft room. We got to be ready to make this pick at X spot because if we can't move up, we can't move down. We've got to make this pick and make the best of it. Now we're going to move, you know, you know, uh, hell and high water to, to move into the best position. The key in the draft is to maximize getting as many of the players that you got rated appropriately on your draft board, not anybody else's draft board, but anybody else's. So, um, the theory behind it is, San Francisco's moving up for a quarterback. Miami moved back, got value, and then moved in a position to secure a playmaker. And Philly, still going to get a good player, but they were excited about being high high up enough to get a quarterback that they like. But apparently, they don't like all four of them equally. They may like all four of them, but they have more questions about maybe one or two of them. And I think that the two they like the most, my speculation, just based upon, you know, theorizing and kind of knowing a little bit about what they're thinking is Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. They like both of them. And the probability now is they're one and two. Uh, The Jets are at two. Um, Look, I've, I've said it before. Sam Dornell hasn't been a coached well enough or put in a position with talent around him well enough to even evaluate him correctly, but he's going into his fourth year. And what I think this organization is doing, if they do take a quarterback at two is they're saying, look, we're going to press the restart button. I mentioned this earlier on a Miller and Moulton with the guys that are on this channel visited with them today that they're pressing the reset button and saying, we don't think we're going to be good enough around Sam Donald to evaluate him well enough to know whether to give him a fifth-year option or be uncomfortable about giving him a fifth-year option. So we're going to press the restart button and get a rookie quarterback, a guy that maybe with a little bit more mobility, if they go with Zach Wilson, for example, and – 
we're going to try to build a team well enough around him to evaluate him and determine whether he's our quarterback of the future. It, 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 in essence, this is what you do when you don't do a good job of building a team around a quarterback. I don't care who it is. Sam Dornell in this draft would rank very high. But because he's gone to a place that's not very good, he's not played all that well. Actually, at times he's played really well. But most of the time, he's graded out poorly. The team around him has done a poor job around him. So it's not it. Well, he's not good enough. They don't know. No one really knows. Because you can't adequately evaluate a guy in that situation. It it retards the development of him to the point that you don't know. But needing to make a timely decision on a fifth-year option or sign a guy important. We talked about that. Cowboys too late on Dak Prescott. Well, you know, with Sam Donald, poor job around him. So you don't know what you have. So it's probably where they're going in with the idea of both the two quarterbacks off the board. Both those quarterbacks, I think Philly liked. They're out of that quarterback business is what they're saying. Unless they think that they get some value. I think that they, they like somebody else better at that point. Um, Blake asks, is Mac Jones, just another AJ McCarron. No, he's a better, better player than, than AJ McCarron. Um, uh, Blake also asked, let's see here what we got here. Blake also asked, um, some other questions, Tennessee and Florida got, okay. We were kind of, both of you just guys just talking in the reader. Where do you see Jamie Newman, Kyle Trask, and Kellen Mann at the next level? Like Kyle Trask better than the uh, the others. I think he's got second-round value. Um, somebody um, may, may reach a little bit in the first round. Again, you start to look at the first-round numbers. Uh, you never have 32 first-round graded players. So there will be second-round guys that will go in the first. It could be one. A um, little bit of a reach here, meaning you're leaving better players um, uh, off the board. Uh, would you rather draft an elite wide receiver or elite tight end when drafting when the team needs both? Uh, well, first of all, tight end's a misnomer. The uh, playmaking receiver is more valuable of the two a true t- uh, over a true tight end. If you're talking about a Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts is not a receiver. He's, uh, excuse me, he's not a tight end. He's a receiver. He's a a big receiver. He's a, what we call a Y flex. He's an H. Um, and the thing you can do with him is, like other big receivers, though, you can play him in line and then release him out, and and you can get good, matchup advantages from the tight end position as opposed to a receiver. You're not going to line him up in line. So there's really good value. I mean, I think Kyle Pitts is in terms of the playmakers is as good as any in this draft. So it's not, would you take the best tight end, the best receiver, who the players are? Um, If they're graded equally, well then, what are they? If you're talking about a two-way tight end that could do a, a guy that's a really good blocker is valuable, not going to be as valuable as a guy that's going to score touchdowns. Let me tell you the priority in this league. It's quarterbacks 
Okay. And then obviously if you have quarterbacks, um, great pass rushers, great pass protectors of that quarterback. If quarterbacks in the passing game is going to be at a premium, well then protecting that quarterback so that you can throw it and rushing the quarterback so that you can prevent somebody from doing it are going to be really important. And then guys on offense who can score touchdowns, guys that are difference makers could be a great receiver, a quote unquote label tight end, but is a playmaker that can just create big matchup advantages, dictate coverage, cause matchup problems. And believe it or not, people don't tell you a great, great running back that in a system is going to be featured as a runner, as a runner receiver, um, as a weapon type of guy, uh, that guy that's going to score touchdowns. So think in terms of scoring touchdowns, quarterback play, pass protectors, and then defense, pass rushers. Uh, obviously, great corners. All that's important. Um, so those are the things that are really important. It, what do the think the Eagles will get? I think the, the Eagles are looking for playmakers. Uh, obviously, if they can't get their quarterback, and I think they're out of it, I think they're going for a playmaking receiver. I think Jamar Chase would be a great fit. Don't know is uh, that's where they're going to go. If I am the Dolphins, I take Sewell um, to protect Hill. Well, I don't think uh, that when you look at where the Dolphins are right now, Panay Sewell is not going to be available at six. Panay Sewell is, um, is outside of Trevor Lawrence is as good a player in this draft at his position. Uh, you're going to see the quarterbacks go. And so I think you're thinking, all right, let's, let's create a scenario where Sewell could be available. Quarterback, quarterback one and two. Let's say Lawrence and Wilson. Um, Niners take a quarterback. I, I I don't see how the Falcons don't take Sewell, but let's say they take a quarterback or trade with Carolina, which in the division, it's not far of a drop. I wouldn't rule it out. I, I would think that, um, you know, that's a potential spot for a quarterback if it's not Atlanta, but it's a – Definitely a spot that Sewell would go. Same thing with Cincinnati. I don't think both of them are going to be traded because I don't think I think you start running out of quarterbacks at that point for both of those teams to trade. But I think Carolina is going to try to move up with either one of those two. You start with Atlanta. You start with with Cincinnati. If Cincinnati doesn't move, if Cincinnati's got Sewell, um, if he's on the board, I don't I don't think they pass him. Pitts is an option. So let's just say that Atlanta moves out of it and Carolina or somebody comes up for a quarterback. And let's say Cincinnati then take Pitts, feeling that they've got solid tackles. Then in that scenario, Miami at six could get perhaps the second best player overall in this draft. And so, um, but I don't think they'll get him there. And, um, I don't think that's, I don't, I think that is a very unlikely scenario, but listen, I can tell you, I have been in situations before when I drafted Javon curse, there's no way in hell he was going to be available at 16. And I tried to trade up all morning to secure getting him. And I mean, I tried to move up, I mean, eight and nine, 10, 12, 13, um, 
14, the 15 with Tampa right before. Just, you just couldn't do it. Uh, we couldn't get a deal done. Uh, and he fell on our lap at 16. So you never know. Sometimes it happens. The one thing I will say is the quarterbacks, as they always are being overvalued, pushes some really good players down. And you'll see, you check out how the draft, uh, the horizontal board, what you have up on Landry football, you'll see how many first round grades. You'll see how we've got them graded. You'll see where the value is. So if you have your quarterback and you're picking maybe just outside of the elite, Man, as you see those quarterbacks going, you're saying, go quarterbacks, go, because you're going to have a couple of good offensive linemen. Uh, you're going to have some really good receivers and maybe a Kyle Pitts in that mix. I'll throw him in there. And a couple of good defenders that are going to all of a sudden, you're going to be getting some really good players very high up on the board, and you're going to see some great value uh, going on. Is Elijah Moore a first-rounder? I do not I do not have Elijah rated as a first-rounder. It doesn't mean he can't go there. I'd be surprised. I think second round is where they go. Um, George Robert Dubairs go offensive line. Let me say this about where you go, and I explained this. This is one of the misnomers that the talking heads will tell you because <clears throat> they don't know. They've not been inside of a draft room. It's not as simple as a team. You can identify where the team needs are. And I think offensive line is one of the needs for the bears. But when you look at your draft board, you're trying to set up your draft board to the best players. And you do it based on regardless of need. Um, so when you're looking at it, you're thinking, <sighs> As your great players, you're putting them in plateaus. And you'll I show this on on LandryFootball.com. How many seven four seven O's? How many six nine six fives? If a if you've got multiple players in the same grade plateau, well then you can take the player of need because you've graded him objectively and you've got them in the same tier. Let's find to take this over that where you make a mistake. If you say, I've got to take an offensive lineman, then you take a, a grade level below and you take a lesser player. You haven't made your team better because what you've done is you've put a body at a position of need and you've left a better player on the board. And you may think that, well, this is our biggest need. Now you got multiple needs. So when teams do that, then that's where you got a whole bunch of needs. And remember this needs are or fleeting. You may be strong at one position and it's not like the old days where you can get them locked up to a contract. Now they become free agents. You could be really strong at one position and the next off season, it's a major weakness. So get the best player, but if you grade them correctly and set your board up correctly, then you can go in and take a player within the same grade plateau. I think that's only one of the needs for the bears. I don't. I wouldn't get locked in there. Uh, which pick do you think would be the most prepared to start a game? Um, it, it depends upon the team taking them. If I'm looking at the best players, um, the the best player to start. I mean, I think somebody. Uh, I think there's a couple of receivers that could play and have an early impact. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm going to look. 
kind of where I would go on my highest graded players. Again, I, I mean, I think a lot of these guys that are taking higher, Panay Sewell, while that's a tough position to play early, would play early. Kyle Pitts will play early and have an impact. Jamar Chase will. I think the receivers will. I think you'll see um, a Najee Harris have a chance. Depends upon, you know, you could be the the player that has the most capabilities of starting early, but if he goes at a spot where there's a really good player there, he may not start early, but may be the better player. Whereas somebody of a lesser ability and lesser capabilities of starting early, he goes into a spot where there's a, a, a dire need for a team, all of a sudden he's talking, he's starting real early. So um, that's really the key. Uh, we take any more of your questions or comments that you have there. Want to um, make mention, certainly getting back into the SEC, is Vanderbilt has announced that they are going to put together some a package and a plan to improve their facilities. Uh, hope that's the case. Vanderbilt has got a lot going for it in its location in Nashville, its academic style, but they have not put emphasis on their facilities. And um, I'm curious to see they're talking new football ops. They need to fix that stadium. You know, basketball ops are looking to do that. They've got a lot of money, just the Ingram family alone, and I understand that they're going to be a part of of making sure that um, that's taken care of. Great for them. Really need it. Uh, I think Clark Lee is a good coach. He's been allowed to put more staff together than those in the past have. I think it'd be a great, great situation there if they're able to at least give themselves a fighting chance. To be competitive, there's no reason why they can't be. They'll have a hard time ever competing, but they can at least be more competitive near the bottom and go to bowl games and do things that, that quite frankly, I have a little bit of a problem when coaches are not given a a real chance to compete. And I don't think um, they've got enough going against them there. want to take a moment to tell you about a couple of great friends of the program blue sky they believe in being fast friendly and fresh through the thoughtful layout and cleanliness of their stores blue skies hopes to provide their customers with a fast and easy buying experience from service to products they plan to keep things fresh and always provide the freshest flavors um of their brand name products and the best services available. They bring in some of the newest products on the market to their stores to provide an even better customer service. A smile can say it all. Blue Skies wants to show customers that they care about them and their shopping experience, and they're always will strive to improve their efforts to accomplish exactly that. So check out Blue Sky today at any of their 48 store locations across the Southeast. Also a great Shout out to Alpha Specialties located at 1670 Highway 80 in Pearl, Mississippi. They are your trailer-specific professionals. If you want to haul it, they can call it. Alpha is the premier trailer dealership in Mississippi. They've got Low Trail, the premier brand trailer, the highest quality unit equipment dump and gooseneck trailers being built today. Fully primed and power-coded, Low Trailers come in with an industry-leading 
three-year warranty, and two-year of roadside assistance. Alpha Specialties also has Hallmark cargo trailers, one of the most quality cargo trailers on the market, perfect for hauling goods to markets and shows, ATVs to deer camps, hauling race cars, and more. Alpha can even work with third parties to have gamely trailers and concession trailers built. For podcast listeners, Alpha has spare tires and wheels starting at just $100. Alpha has a full selection of trailer parts and accessories, hitches, winches, straps, and more. They also do all types of truck accessories. Listeners can also get 10% off yearly trailer service and inspections at Alpha Full Service Shop. They can repair all types of trailers as well, concession, horse, utility, enclosed, gooseneck, and RV. Give them a call at 601-932-9798 or check them out at www.alpha, that's A-L-P-H-A-O-F-M-S dot com. Alpha OMS, uh, Alpha A O F M S dot com. Make sure you tell them you heard about us on the MPW Digital Network of Podcasts. Again, that's 601 932 9798 or Alpha A L P H A O F M S dot com. Uh, appreciate those guys. Uh, great to be involved with us. Also, remind you that if you listen to this podcast, you can watch this podcast. Every day. So if you're listening to it at your own leisure, that's great. But you can join us live, like the guys in the chat room, Rich and Jeff and Blake and Georgia Reb and all the guys. Um, we appreciate you joining us. And um, uh, check us out live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch TV at um, – Twitch.tv slash Chris Landry football, where you can catch all of our football shows. A couple of other notes here this past week, since we visited with you, Georgia got a verbal from, um, John Walker, outstanding linebacker. He does look a lot like Isaiah Simmons coming out of high school, Uh guy that can cover a slot, got great range. Uh, he's from Salisbury, North Carolina. He's no surprise, no big news here. He was targeted for Georgia all along. We've told you about it on Landry Football, and and certainly um, he made it official this past week. So uh, we um, wanted to check in on that. You want more recruiting information, you can check it out at Landry Football. We've got the ladies each and every day in our notebooks. We've got draft nugget information, recruiting information, spring practice information in our NFL notebook. Right now, we're loaded with a lot of draft stuff, but free agent stuff as well. Uh, we've got um, uh, certainly our draft boards and free agent boards. We've got all of that, so check that out. Um, want to talk a little bit about Howard Schnellenberger. Um, a couple of guys mentioned him. Uh, new coach Schnellenberger for a while. For people who don't know, he did play <clears throat> football at Kentucky, and he played for Coach Bryant, Bear Bryant at Kentucky. He um, later coached um, for Bear Bryant at Alabama. He was the guy that went to Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, and got Joe Namath. And I think he stayed there for <laughs> he uh, he he lived in Beaver Falls or the nearby area for for quite some time. Um 
I think the word that Coach Bryant said, don't come back without him. If he if you don't have Joe, then then don't come back. So um yeah, he was he was a really successful coach here. He um he had interest in the Alabama job back when they hired Bill Curry. Um, think about this, Alabama fans. Um Bobby Bowden wanted the job. Howard Schnellenberger wanted the job. Um, they hired Bill Curry. Um, Howard Schnellenberger is most known for the job that he did at Miami. But what people don't know is Howard Schnellenberger was the offense coordinator for Don Shula for the Dolphins in the early 70s. The defensive coordinator was one of my mentors, Bill Orange Parker. And it was from there he made the move to the University of Miami, had kind of roots in the area, knew the area because he was coaching with the Dolphins and lived there. So he goes into Miami and he kind of drew a line from the I, we call it the I-4 line and said, we're going to create the state of Miami is what he called it. And he said, we are not going to let people come out of that program. That program was really struggling. Lou Saban had uh, really struggled to get anything done there. They had talks about dropping the program. Of course, they still don't have an on-campus facility. Facilities were dumped, and certainly playing in the Orange Bowl was, <coughs> pardon me, um, was, um, I mean, the Orange Bowl was iconic in that it it hosted the Orange Bowl. It was the home of the Dolphins, and, and in its time, it was a great place. It was great fan support. Um, but over time, obviously, things have changed. But he built a program by keeping the local guys there at Miami. And we can all remember um, the great job that he did in building Miami and putting together loads of talent and won the national championship in what was a big upset at the time, beating Nebraska. Uh, Tom Osborne could have gone for the tie and gotten the vote to be the national champion, went for two, and Miami won. Um, there's always the thought, and I think Howard always said, probably to his dying day, what if I had stayed at Miami? Uh, he didn't stay at Miami, University of Miami. He left to go to the USFL. So he had a part of the team and general manager and head coach. We know the USFL didn't have a long career. And he made so many, went for the money, as a lot of guys do. And he didn't have long success there as the USFL and, you know, never was a head coach in the NFL. And then from there, it was kind of a work his way back. Got the Louisville job, again, Kentucky native. Um, the the main um, – there, there were a number of folks that really pushed him um, to get that job being a Kentucky guy at Louisville. And obviously, if you're at Louisville and you got a chance to get a Howard Schnellenberger with his pedigree – did, did a you know went there and did a good job at Louisville. They famously beat Alabama in the Fiesta Bowl one year, in a year in which Alabama wasn't uh, wasn't quite healthy. And and look, Howard was that was a big big game for him. Obviously, being had ties to Alabama because of Bear Bryant. Coach Stallings was coach then, um, early tenure there. 
And uh, one big there. Uh, obviously um, had a short – fact, he didn't coach a game at Oklahoma, went to Oklahoma, had that blew up pretty early, and then obviously start the program at um, uh, at uh, FIU. And um, so he had – obviously it's one of those careers in which was really good. Um, you know, that, that you wonder, and probably he wonders what would have happened had he stayed at Miami. I mean, I don't know. We can speculate would have been an upset if he didn't win a couple of more championships, but, but who knows? Certainly had a program that was sustainable. Others came in and did a phenomenal job and others won the title at Miami. But make no mistake, the guy that that was the father of that program that built that program was Howard. And um, it's ironic that he came back to the area, a place that he kind of was his second home. He was a Kentucky guy. He was actually offered the Kentucky job at one point and and turned it down. Um, He was – it was at a time where he was in a little bit better position. I think he would have, I think that was a job he would have loved to have had. Um, but the Alabama job was one with the connection to coach Bryant. He would have, would have liked to have had as well. Timing's everything. I can tell you that the stories about who could have had this job or that job at this point in time. And we could, uh, we could always, we could have a, a five hour show every day about the what ifs of if this would have happened at a different time. It's we all can relate to that in our lives, but uh, really liked how really got to know him. He was known as a, he had that voice that was part natural and part due to the pipe that he always smoked. And, and that grovelly voice was, uh, I can still hear it today. Uh, but he was, uh, a lot of connections to what happened there. So, um, you know, because of his connection with, um, with Bill Orangeberger and the Dolphins and Don Shula, when Orangeberger left the Dolphins to take the head job at LSU, which is where I got connected with Coach Orangeberger, a lot of the guys that Orangeberger brought in, Mike Archer, for example, um, is one worked for Schnellenberger. He, Mike Archer was on that staff at the University of Miami. That was actually Mike Archer's alma mater. Um, and obviously the connection there with Schnellenberger and Archer. And and uh, so there was some, we had some of the, worked with some of the, what I would call the Schnellenberger flavor concepts and ideas um, in the my early LSU days. So, uh, so rest in peace to Coach Schnellenberger. Some other thoughts before we get out of here. Um, hey, Jeff said didn't realize he played for Bear Kentucky and coached with him at out. He absolutely did, as I mentioned. Um, and then Chris, who will be the next coach other than Nick and Kirby to win an SEC championship? Um, I would say that the well, I mean. Uh, the next one, uh, we know that LSU won it a couple of years ago. That's not what you're asking. Um, well, it's very difficult because I don't know that, that, uh, let's just say Alabama has Alabama would have to have a, 
unusually bad year. You got to win the West. Let's start there. I would say that that may be Jimbo, but again, who's going to beat Alabama in the West? Have a bad year. Somebody's got to win it. Uh, probably throw in Jimbo in the West. I, I would say Dan Mullen would be the answer. Um, it, it, I think Georgia still got better overall talent, but if um, Florida gets by them like they did this past year, then you know who knows. Uh, I would probably answer that Dan Mullen because I think it's a little bit easier to win the East uh, than the West because you get it. But but LSU did it two years ago, so you know I would say Mullen uh, Fisher you know, would be the programs that at least look the best. But we know winning it, having to get by those, I'd I'd prefer to have to get by, say, Kirby in a big game than than Nick. Um, But that's that's the best guess I could give you there. Appreciate Jig's dad joining us, uh, cheering us uh, over 100. Hey, uh, hope you're keeping up with some of the Syracuse notes that we're having in our notebook there, by the way. couple of commitments there recently. So we appreciate you joining us. Um, uh, we will be back with you Friday for another edition of SEC Football and Beyond. We will uh, certainly react, get you ready for the Final Four, I guess. And a lot of the uh, more updated uh, draft information, um, we'll get into that and whatever else is going and w- going on and whatever is in your mind, uh, on your mind rather, we'll get to that. Uh, check out the draft boards over at LandryFootball.com. Got the initial horizontal draft board. First round, we're going to add the second round and then the third round and explain to how that board works and how teams have that. And this is what real NFL draft boards look like. So really think you're going to ignore these goofy lists of the top five. You will see them rank, but you'll see where the separation is and where the value is. And then you're going to begin to understand a lot more about why teams trade back and trade up. But remember, too, that everybody's – while their boards look like this, they may have different players in those spots because how they view them. Remember, 32 different looking draft boards, uh, particularly once you get behind the first um, eight or 10 players. But check it out there. We're going to take you through the entire draft over at LandryFootball.com. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, join me tomorrow for Scout's Eye on Football. We'll get into more of the draft. We'll talk all football there. Uh, a lot of little basketball talk here, but on that, we go all football and uh, certainly the Landry Football Podcast on Thursday. And we'll be back on Friday for another edition of SEC Football and Beyond. Same time, same channel right here. Have a great day, everybody. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.